The bigger danger is for accountants who are assuming that simply by doing the journal entry that it's compliant. Because if for some reason the tax office comes back and says, hold on a minute, that doesn't work, it's the accountant that's interposed themselves in that position and the client may not help them. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 261 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In the last episode, we stumbled across an issue that I didn't know existed. I mean, you probably did, but I lived in blissful ignorance until then. And that is the issue of Section 109T in a triangular setup, where the recipient of a Division 7A loan is not the shareholder of the company, but you want to use dividends to make minimum yearly repayments for this Division 7A loan. Robin Jacobson of the Tax Institute touched on this issue in the last episode. To rejig your memory, let me play you Robin's comment again. Because if we're going to use a journal entry to make a minimum yearly repayment, there must be a mutual obligation. The trust, let's say who's the one who's borrowed the money, who's not a shareholder, has an obligation to pay the company. What obligation does the company have to the trust? There is none. So you're taking an amount that is owed to the shareholder And yes, everything can be done via journal. And I say that very tongue in cheek. Anyone can put through debits and credits, but they must be supported by underlying transactions. They must be supported by mutual obligations. Otherwise, a journal does not constitute a payment. And just whacking through a journal to say, well, I've now lent you the money and now that money gets used by the trust to the company, I have concerns about that being legally effective. The company has a receivable against the trust. The trust has a payable against the company. If That's now- not a mutual obligation. A mutual obligation means the trust owes the company and the company owes the trust an amount. And you apply those two obligations against each other. It doesn't mean that there's a debit on one side and a credit on the other in two different entities. I got you. Okay. So I know that what you're describing is common. There are a number of accountants who over the years have just put through journals to clean these loans up or to make repayments. I am questioning the legal effectiveness of that because a journal can only be used where there is a mutual obligation by two parties to each other where those obligations get offset against each other. So my concern is where the trust owes the company, there is no mutual obligation where the company owes the trust an amount that can be used via a journal to reduce that minimum yearly repayment obligation. Okay, so that means the solution in this scenario would be to actually have payments. Dearly, so that the yes. company actually pays out the cash to the shareholder, the shareholder actually pays the cash to the trust, and then the trust pays the cash back to the company. Ideally, but then what you're now creating is a loan between the individual and the trust. And it is possible that the commissioner could even say that there's a 109T issue here where money has been paid by a company to a shareholder and then that or an intermediary even, if you want to call it an interposed entity, and that can include a dividend payment. And then that money has been on lent to an associate or a shareholder. So you've got to be careful about what it looks like when the shareholder, to use the word loosely, passes the money on to the trust. I see. You can't book it as a capital contribution? Potentially, but there's still a risk that 109T could be applied where money has come out from a company to a associate of a shareholder using the 109T provision. 
It's not one we've seen widely used by the Commissioner, but the Commissioner did release some guidance a couple of years ago, which indicated that where there is a back-to-back -back payments or back-to-back -back loans, um, which you're referring to here is potentially a payment followed by another payment, then it is possible that notwithstanding the first payment is accessible because it is a dividend, it could still constitute a payment that allows 109T to operate. So I just mentioned that by way of caution because that could be a, a shortcoming in, in what you're describing. Can you just quickly fill me in what 109T is about? 109T is the interposed entity rule. So if you've got a company that makes a payment or a loan directly to a shareholder or an associate of a shareholder, it's Vanilla Div 7A. If there's another entity in the middle, it is possible that 109T could allow the commissioner to look at the first payment or loan followed by a second payment or loan and conclude that the purpose of that arrangement was ultimately to get money from the first one out to the ultimate shareholder or associate. Good. Oh, dear. It's an integrity measure. It's to stop people getting around the rules. So it would be interesting to um, explore that perhaps in another discussion or, or yes. if the commissioner had a view on whether 109T could be applied to a dividend paid by a company to a shareholder that is then on lent or contributed or paid onto another entity that is an associate that actually ultimately owes the minimum yearly repayment back to the company. It's an interesting question. So now the question is, if you do have a triangular setup and you need to use dividends for Division 7A repayments, how do you avoid Section 109T that Robin very correctly points out? How do you get out of this dilemma? This is the question Jeff Steen of Brownwright Steen Lawyers in Sydney will discuss with you. I would love to quickly get your input into the following triangle setup, which is actually quite common. And that is you have a company that makes a loan to a trust, but the trust is not the shareholder. You know, they're not directly yeah, related. It's a related entity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's a related entity, but they don't own each other in any way. So the company makes a loan, a Division 7A loan to the trust, but the trust doesn't yep. have the money to make the minimum yearly repayment. So the yep. company declares a dividend to the related shareholder, and then the shareholder makes a capital contribution to the trust, and yep. then the trust makes the minimum yearly repayment. And of course, all this is just done by journal entries. And it's the last sentence that's the problem. So knowing Robin, as I do, one of her favourite hobby horses is too many accountants assume that the journal entry is the transaction. And a journal entry is never the transaction. At best, it is evidence of someone recording a transaction that has been made. But what it really is, is it's accounting for a transaction that has been made and you need evidence to support the accounting entry, not the other way around. So it, it is actually, from a, a legal perspective, Robin's concerns are very easy to get around. That is, company declares a dividend to individual shareholder. That dividend is typically paid, but can be paid with a um, essentially a promissory note or, or a, a debt that is able to be assigned. So what happens is, the, in old-fashioned terms, the company can write a cheque to pay the dividend to the individual shareholder. The individual shareholder then needs to make a decision as to whether he or she will gift that amount to the trust or lend it to the trust. 
and that should be evidenced with a, ideally with a deed of gift or a loan agreement itself. And then the making of that gift or loan is done by endorsing the cheque, assuming again that cash is not available. And then the trust, having received the amount from the individual shareholder, makes the relevant repayment to the company. And, and that's essentially the process of the payments that Robin is concerned about. That completes the triangle. But what's particularly relevant is you need to have the make sure that the arrangements are legally effective. Merely doing it by journal and saying that it's a set-off doesn't work because there's no mutuality between the borrower, that is the trust, and the person that's going to be entitled to the dividend being the individual shareholder. And that's the very much the difference in circumstances where you have a traditional Division 7A loan agreement, that is the company has lent money to an individual shareholder. When the company pays a dividend to that individual shareholder, the company can directly apply that dividend against the debt that the individual shareholder owes to it. But a company can't do that where the debt is owed by someone that's not the shareholder. Can we go through it in practical terms? So the company declares a dividend. So you have, let's assume it's just a, a sole director. So you have a resolution before the 30th of June. You then issue a dividend statement and then... Yeah, no, go back. You need to yeah. do two things. So firstly, you need... The, the dividend statement is just the statement to reflect that a dividend has been paid. Okay, but in order to have the instalment paid before the 30th of June in the year, the company must resolve to pay the dividend and pay the dividend. Now, that payment can be done by cheque, that payment can be done by promissory note, that payment can be done by an assignment of an asset, but it must be paid to give effect to the arrangements that need to happen in order for the shareholder to fund the trust to make the repayment. So before the 30th of June, you need the resolution and you need the payment? Yes. Then by the 31st of July, the minutes or the resolution must be registered in the company register, you know, yes. within, a month, within a month of declaring the dividend? In the normal be. way, yes. Yes. And then by the 31st of October, assuming that everything happened on the 30th of June and 31st of July, then on the 31st of October, you must issue the dividend statement. The distribution statement, I think it's called a distribution statement. Yes, and they're the normal things that apply to any company that's going to issue a dividend or pay okay. a dividend. Yeah. Yes, that's kind of the standard way. But now, of course, we have the issue that we need to have a payment before the 30th of June, but we actually just wanted to do it all by journal entry. Now, a check would be easy, but very few companies nowadays still have a checkbook because it's all done online. So we would have to do a promissory note. I assume this promissory note can just be written <laughs> written in Word and then signed and... Uh, yeah, in effect. Now, it comes with a caution, of course, that the tax office does not like issuing promissory notes because it has an element of artificiality. But it's the same effect as the company issuing a cheque that gets endorsed. Okay, but that's that's the only way apart from actually paying the money, correct? Of I mean, course. the other yes. the, the safest way probably would be paying just paying the money, just do a round robin of paying the money. 
just from one account absolutely to the no next. question about it no no issue about it and, and particularly if you've got a friendly bank that will organize for those amounts to go through on the one day through you know essentially the three different bank accounts that would be even better evidencing tra transactions with cash is the best way to evidence something but it doesn't really matter whether it's on one day or not, as long as it's all before the 30th of June or whenever you want the dividend to be effective, correct? I mean, it, do, it could go over three or four days. It doesn't really matter as long as... From a tax law perspective, you're absolutely right. But from a practical perspective, if the reason why this isn't, is being done in this particular way is that the company doesn't actually have the facilities available to it to have the cash to last for two or three days you'll still need your friendly bank manager. Of course, the, the other way of doing it is to look at, do you have surplus cash during the year? And to make those advances reasonably regularly during the year, which might add up to the amount that needs to be done for instalment purposes. It's just in that the Division 7A calculator is then very tedious when you have to list all the, you know, when you have to list 10 different Payments. You know, in the ATO Division 7A calculator, you have to list all the repayments yes. during the year. If you, yeah, if you do it, yes, over, I, I accept that it becomes very tedious, and that we're just talking about how do you comply rather. Yeah, than yeah, and yeah, how that, do you that comply tedious. and make it easy for everybody. Yeah, you're you're right. <laughs> the tediousness is probably the least of our problems. So ideally, if it was the first of June, and we still wanted to do all this before the 30th of June, then ideally we would just talk to the bank and try to do a round robin of 100,000 or whatever it is in one day so that it just ticks all the all the bank accounts. And there isn't really anything now we can do afterwards if, apart from backdating promissory notes or checks, which, of course, is illegal. But yeah, let's, we don't backdate anything, correct. Yeah, 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 exactly. Let's just assume it was the 1st of June. Then we could issue a check and date it the 1st of June and then move it around. And does the check actually need to be cashed or can the um, can the shareholder then just gift this check? The shareholder just gifts it because, again, if we're talking about just doing endorsements, that's exactly what happens, that it, it goes around to the original drawer. So the company draws the original check, pays the dividend to the individual shareholder, individual shareholder endorses it, typically on the back, and then the trust having received the endorsement from the individual shareholder, then re-endorses it back to the company, which is the original drawer. And all the company needs to do and everybody involved needs to do is take a copy of it so that everybody's got a clear copy of what's actually happened. And for practical purposes, the company can then rip up that check. That check will never get presented. Yeah, that's probably the most practical solution because Payments involves having to talk to the banks and it's tedious, whereas the check, that's easy. It's just paper. Usually it also just involves all the same person. So the person who is the sole director of the um, company is often also the um, sole director of the corporate trustee of the trust. So then you basically, you can do all this basically in one go. You can do it all in one go. And, and again, though, don't forget, it's not just the, the check and the endorsement of the check. You also need to evidence the character of the payments for each step. So the first step is the dividend payment, evidenced by a resolution of directors of the company and in due course the issue of the distribution statement. Then the individual making the payment to the trust has to either be a loan or a gift. 
And again, it only needs to be a one page, but just something that confirms this is the basis upon which this cheque is being endorsed. That is, it's a loan or it's a gift. Yeah, and when we say gift, it's really a capital contribution, isn't it? The trust recognises it as a capital contribution, so credits capital, correct? Precisely. And so for that, you basically just need a, a plain word document that says, I, Peter Smith, make a capital contribution to the trust and here's the cheque. Correct. And then we need another piece of paper where now the trust writes to the company and says, please accept this cheque in lieu of payment to you. Correct. Okay. And then... The person signs it all and the matter is done. That's it. If the company doesn't have a checkbook, because we are 2020, then we just have to write a promissory note and that is also basically just a Word document with some text we get from the internet, correct? Because the promissory note, I guess, I guess there is not one way of making a promissory note. I guess it's kind of similar to whatever is written on the check, which is basically just saying, I hereby promise to pay X amount to Peter Bill. That's it. You can write them all. That's, that's exactly the point. And it would certainly help if the company, when it initiates that promissory note, has enough headroom in its facilities to be able to pay a dividend should it have needed to do so. But it's not fatal if it doesn't. And if we do all this, then we don't have an issue with Section 109T. But if we don't do it and just do it the usual way, then there is Section 109T lurking in the background. Yeah, and the point there is that the journals do not give effect to the transactions. Yes. So that you haven't in fact complied because there's no set off. That is simply saying I've paid a dividend and the amount's been set off. You can't show that the trust has repaid the loan. Have you ever seen this being raised as an issue by the ATO? Because to the best of my knowledge, it's very, very common standard to just whack it all through. There's a journal entry seven, eight months after year end. Yeah. In a really nasty audit situation, which is typically um, a taxpayer has done a number of things which have offended the auditor, then this will get raised as an issue. Absolutely will get raised as an issue because, yeah, yeah they're looking at, well, what happened and, and we're going to pick on you because yeah. you haven't, you know, generally because your behaviour of that taxpayer hasn't been compliant on other things. But in many circumstances you can understand because this practice is so common and there's no net detriment, that is, that, that what's really happening is someone's taken a shortcut on the paperwork. And so if the auditor is sympathetic, the auditor would typically permit the taxpayer to adduce other evidence as to what actually happened. So that the, but, but I might take it one step further. The bigger danger is for accountants who are assuming that simply by doing the journal entry that it's compliant. Because if for some reason the tax office comes back and says, hold on a minute, that doesn't work, It's the accountant that's interposed themselves in that position and the client may not help them. Okay, so that basically just means we need to address all this before the 30th of June going forward and journal entries are not enough, but we need to document all this through a check or promissory note from the company to the shareholder and then a gift documented again from the shareholder to the um, trust and then another note from the trust to the company saying, this check is to cover my minimum yearly repayments. That's absolutely right, Heidi. You, you understand it in one. Or three, is this a case? Because it takes three legs to the transaction. 
Yes, exactly. So we need three documents and basically three signatures on the yeah. on the check or the permission. Yeah, you, you need two documents and three. Isn't it three? Uh, three signatures. Well, it's three if you count the original Division Seven A loan agreement. But you don't actually need a document to evidence the last repayment. That's simply a compliance repayment. Oh, really? So you don't need the trust to write to the company saying, here's the cheque back to you in lieu of minimum yearly repayments. You don't need to document that. You don't need to document that. You simply need to endorse make the, the payment. Check. Correct. Welcome back. So the actual dividend requires a director resolution by 30th of June, a note in the company register by 31st July, and a distribution statement by 31st of October. And then if you have this triangular setup, in the absence of an actual payment of this dividend before 30th of June, you need a check or promissory note that represents the payment of this dividend before 30th of June. And then this check or promissory note needs three signatures. The first signature is from the company director who issues the check or note, assuming there's just one director. The second signature is from the shareholder who endorses the check or note to the trust. And the third signature is from the trustee or trustee director endorsing the check or note back to the company. And all three signatures must be done before 30th of June. And then you need one more document. You must document the handover of the check or note from the shareholder to the trust as a capital contribution. And if you do all this on time, you are clear of Section 109T. Now, all this sounds very complicated and confusing, at least at least to me. You're probably miles ahead and have already sorted this all out. But bear with me as I'm thinking out aloud. And what I'm thinking is that once it is all set up, it is actually very easy. You just set up all documents in one PDF file. So at the moment, I have them all printed out separately. So I have the um, distribution statement. I have the director resolution. I have the um, promissory note. And I have the capital contribution declaration. So it's a lot of paper, but if I put all this into one PDF file and then send it out for signature, then it's actually very straightforward. And then for next year, I just change the dates and then send it out again. So I think once it's all set up, it is actually a matter of minutes and we are safe from section 109 In the next episode, episode 262, let's stick with dividends for one more episode, but let's go back to basics. Putting division 7A and section 109 aside, when can you actually pay dividends in the first place? What does our corporation law say you can or can't do? That is the question Paul McEnroe of Cleary Hall in Brisbane will discuss with you in the next episode. Thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.